Hello, Puggies, and welcome to Season 2 of the Pug Life Show, brought to you by Pug Parties, because your pug deserves to be the best dressed at the party, and you can check out their outfits at pugparties.com. I'm your host, Donna, and with me are my Puggy co-hosts, Rosie and Kenji. This week, I'm talking about loss, specifically the loss of a pug and the impact it has on pug parents, the pug family, and how it's different each time it occurs. With the recent passing of my third pug, Charles, I realised that our grief journey was very different to that of his brother Winston and my first pug, Lewis. Andrew and I have felt the impact that their passing has had on our lives, but it wasn't until we lost Charles that I realised just how different our grieving processes were with each puggy. But before we dive into my revelations, I want to remind you to subscribe to our newsletter in the show notes so you get advance notice of our next episode and much, much more. So far in my pug life journey, I have adopted five pugs and lost three, with Charles being my most recent in October last year from old age. He had doggy dementia, which meant that his final journey was hard emotionally on all of us. And in the end, he let us know he'd had enough by turning his nose up and his bowl and his favourite treats, yogurt drops. I still find myself tearing up thinking about his last week and the decision that Andrew and I had to make, knowing logically it was the most humane thing that we could do for him, but still on some level wanting to fight for him. He was our puppy and we wanted him to live forever, like any pug parent would. As a proud pug parent, I unashamedly own the fact that my pugs are my fur children. Therefore, I mourn for them like I mourn the loss of a human in my life because my pugs have as profound an impact on my life as a human would. How could they not since they've loved me unconditionally through all of my highs and lows without judgment? I cry, I keep their ashes in a special wooden box crafted by my father in our lounge room so they're close to us and I commemorate their passing every year which strangely all occurred in January until Charles's passing late last year. Andrew and I had come to refer to January as Dead Pug Month because we lost Lewis aka Fat Dog on the 29th of January and almost 10 years later to the day we lost Winston on the 28th of January. A little freaky, I know. With all three of our boys, we experienced very different grieving processes, and I think in part it's because of how they passed and that for Lewis and Winston, the fact that we couldn't be with them when they did pass really made it difficult for us to reconcile the myriad of emotions we experienced in the days, weeks and months afterwards. Lewis passed away when he was staying with Andrew's mum whilst we were moving interstate, which was just horrible for her as much as it was for us. But realistically, Fat Dog is 14. He'd lived longer than the vet had predicted and we like to think that he chose that day because he was happy with the life he had with us and he knew that Nanny was there for him. We felt so many emotions when we received the call from Andrew's mother. Horrified that she'd had to deal with something that we hadn't planned for or expected since he was doing so well and showed no signs of stopping anytime soon. Profoundly guilty 
and I think on some level disappointment that we weren't there with him to hold and comfort him as he slipped away so he knew that we loved him right up until the last second before he zoomed over the Rainbow Bridge. And for me especially, since Lewis was my first pug love and more my puggy than Andrew's, a sense that a part of my heart had just zoomed off with him. I know that there are people out there who would scoff at my emotions and reactions, but to be honest, I don't care. Lewis was my puppy the second I laid eyes on him and it was like we were meant to be and we were meant to have this great pug life together. I do prefer to think of all the wonderful things that we did together in the seven years that I had him with me um, on his day of passing. But I can't help but think about the day that Andrew and I flew back to say goodbye to him and make arrangements for his cremation. I still feel my heart miss a beat and my throat tighten up. The same emotions I felt standing there in the vet surgery, seeing him for the last time. And to be honest, in some ways, I wish I hadn't seen him that last time. It wasn't a great experience for us because the vet he was with was not our usual vet. And they really didn't take the care with his body that I had expected. And it caused me a lot of distress seeing him that way. Thankfully, we've not had a repeat of that since, but we also refused to use that vet based on that experience. As you can imagine, after our experience with Lewis, Andrew and I really wanted to be there for Winston and Charles when their time came. And unlike with Lewis, we made sure we had a plan for any puggy sitter should something happen in our absence. Be that as it may, when we lost Winston, he was on life support and we had to make a decision via conference call with his specialist on the spot. We'd spent the previous 12 months fighting to get him back to full health after complications post-surgery and we'd managed to enjoy three months of good health prior to his unexpected passing. We were so happy to have Winston healthy and back with his brother Charles living their best life that when he went downhill so quickly, we were almost shell-shocked with how quickly it happened. It was over the Australia Day long weekend when he started having trouble breathing, so we popped into our vet, got him onto antibiotics because we knew that a second bout of pneumonia was not unusual and therefore we weren't taking any chances. We'd had our boy back and we were going to fight tooth and nail to keep him happy and healthy no matter what. The antibiotics started to have a positive effect and we were so confident that he was on the mend that we even went to playgroup that Sunday morning where everyone remembers how lively he was. He was the Winston of old, running around trying to con as many cuddles and treats as he could before we made him go home to rest. By that night, he was breathing heavily again and by early the next morning, we were rushing him into hospital and telling the staff to do whatever it took to figure out what was causing his distress. It was a really long day of waiting to see if their administrations were doing the job. Then early Tuesday morning, we get a phone call to say that he'd been put onto life support and that he'd suffered a total collapse of his trachea the only thing keeping him alive other than the intubation tube was the stent we had put in 12 months previous after he'd been diagnosed with a weak trachea. He was suffering and there was little more they could do. We needed to make a decision right now and they couldn't wait for us to get to the hospital to be with him in his final moments because he was suffering. 
The thought of Winston's suffering made the decision easier, but it still felt incredibly hard. Unlike our experience with Lewis, by the time we arrived at the hospital to say our goodbyes, the staff had removed all of the medical equipment from his body and arranged him in a manner that made him look like he was sleeping off a busy morning of snuffling around the garden with his brother. Andrew and I still broke down and we still spent a long time stroking his back and his paws like he liked. And we let Charles walk around him and lay next to him for the last time. We thought it was important that Charles be there with us so he could say goodbye to his brother and hopefully understand that his brother just wasn't coming home this time. For me, it took a couple of days for the shock and pain of Winston's passing to subside and the guilt to emerge. Did we wait too long to take him to the hospital? Should we have gone to the specialist instead of our vet when he started breathing heavily the first time? Did I show him enough love? Did he think I loved him enough? And the questions go on and on and on. And in some ways, even though I know logically from the specialist that we did everything we could have in those last few days, I still struggle with that pug mum guilt on some level when I think about Winston on his day of passing. Hey, Puggies, we'll be right back after this short message. If you haven't already subscribed to our newsletter, then please click on the link in our show notes so you get advance notice of our next episode. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Living the Pug Life, so you can be the crazy pug lady you've always wanted to be with other like-minded crazy pug ladies. Now it's time to get back to the show. Charles's passing was different again. He was approaching 14, which for a rescue puggy with his health issues was amazing. Andrew and I always thought he would be the first to go between him and his brother because of his long-standing health issues, but he just kept going. He'd go at his own pace, but he was so resilient that we started to believe that it, he, we would have him until his late teens. He'd started to show signs of dementia at about the age of 12, and initially we weren't sure if it was old age or if it was the beginning stages of dementia. As the signs started to become more obvious, we started to do more research about the condition and what to expect, which is how we discovered that typically a dog with dementia would need to be euthanised because their condition would deteriorate to a point where it was no longer humane to keep them alive. I won't lie. I silently prayed for Charles to die a natural death on his own terms in his bed with his family around him and him being present enough to know that he could go because it was his time and that he was loved until the day he died. In Charles's own way, he did kind of die in his own terms because he just stopped eating. The last two weeks prior to his passing were hard on all of us. Charles's decline, which had been incremental until about four weeks prior, and then in the last two weeks, it was almost daily drops in comprehension and significant increases in fear responses. He'd bit Rosie and Kenji when they got too close to me. He would get lost or stuck under something in the middle of the night, which then caused him to panic and wake us up so we'd have to go looking for him and save him. And he'd stare into the corner of a room for hours if we didn't find him quickly enough, which was tough on his legs and back, which were not very strong in his old age. But he still recognised Andrew and I and he loved to go for his morning walk in the puggy buggy. 
Andrew and I agonised over Charles's failing health in those last two weeks. But when we realised that Rosie and Kenji were sneaking Charles's food when we weren't watching in the last few days, that was when we realised that Charles was trying to tell us something and that it was time to talk to the vet. I reflect now on the differences between the decision we had to make for Winston and the decision we had to make for Charles, and I can honestly say that I'm not sure which decision was easier or harder. Both were kind of taken out of our hands by the situation at the time, and both times we didn't want to make the decision, although we knew that it wasn't about us, but about quality of life and the prevention of unnecessary suffering. But they're my puppies. They were my boys, my fur children. Andrew and I were so grateful that we got to be there for Charles and I think he knew we were giving him what he wanted in the end and that he was lucid enough to recognise that we were there with him right up until he zoomed over the Rainbow Bridge to be with his brothers Winston and Lewis. Being with Charles until the end definitely helped me grieve for him the way that I wanted to remember him serene and comfortable until the end with the feeling of Andrew's hand cupping his face and me holding his paw until his last breath. Yes, I still ask myself if I loved him enough throughout his life and did he know that I loved him, but I am thankful that we could be there with him, holding him and supporting him until the end. I think that it's the least I can do for everything he gave me over almost 12 years. All of our boys, as I mentioned before, are interned in the wooden box my father crafted for me after Lewis passed. And I look at it often when I'm thinking about one or all of them. I do enjoy talking to people about all three of them now, their personalities and their hijinks. It no longer brings overwhelming waves of sadness or guilt, which I'm really happy about because I want to remember them as they were and not how I felt after they had passed. They deserve more. I'm not sure what the future will hold for me with Rosie and Kenji, but I do hope for an ending that is on their terms. I hope that Andrew and I will be there with them, supporting them until they're ready to zoom over the Rainbow Bridge to join their brothers and friends who have gone before them. Now, I'd love to hear from you. Losing your pug is such an emotional time for any pug parent or family since they have such a profound impact on our lives. If you'd like to share your stories about your puggies past or present, we'd love to hear from you over in our Facebook group, Living the Pug Life. You can leave a comment in the podcast post or start a whole new conversation. I think you'll find many pug parents who have similar experiences who'd love to share them too. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of The Pug Life Show. If you liked the episode or if you think it'll be useful for someone else, then please leave a review. And if you've got any questions or want to tell us how much you loved the episode, then let us know over at our Facebook group, Live in the Pug Life, where crazy pug ladies meet to talk all things pug. So until next time, puggies, have a pawsome week and humans, be generous with the snackies. <laughs>